Next month, four new postage stamps will be on sale. They were chosen from a large number of submitted designs which depict British bridges. For philatelists, it's a major event. Those chosen were the Tar Steps, Prehistoric Bridge, Somerset, fourpenny. The ninepenny stamp depicts Aberfeldy Bridge in Perthshire. And up in the one and sixpenny slot, the Menai Bridge, lettered in both English and Welsh. The stamps span more than 2,000 years, coming up to date with the M4 Viaduct. My name is DJ Special Delivery. My name is the MC First Class Mail. <laughs> For this episode of Project Moonbase. Entitled... Postcard from the Moon! Yes, prompted originally by a suggestion from listener Ewan Keane, who uh, suggested that we do an entire show about the stamped addressed envelope. Is it Ewan Keane, though, or is it Ewan Goebbels? <laughs> Mm, you know check, what I'm talking about. Please yes. check Twitter for that. The stamped addressed envelope. Yeah, yeah. Mm. What, what's happened to it? It's, I know. It's gone. I can't remember the last time I stuck one of those into a letter. I know. Well, uh, how else is one supposed to get your Blue Peter <laughs> badge? I imagine they send it to you on the internet now, don't they? <laughs> they do, yeah. You can print it out as a PDF. Yeah, so this is... its not. We're not restricting ourselves to envelopes. No. We have stamps, uh, packages, no. parcels, letters. All forms of... Uh, Yes, well, things you might send through the mail. Now, if you are a philatelist, you might enjoy this. <laughs> you will. Philately. Sir, you're looking particularly handsome today. <laughs> I'm philatelering <laughs> you. You philately-ling. are. In amongst all of the uh, first-class mails and second-class mails, we do have the unnecessary news. That's right. In presenting this work, constructed as a monthly calendar, which is the most simple and easy method to convey the necessary operations of the year, considerably more labour has been expended than was at first expected to render it as accurately as possible. I'm glad to hear it. We're going to get uh, proceedings underway by playing a track, I think it was originally written by the great banjo player Earl Scruggs. The great banjo player. There's, oh, yeah. there's a phrase that isn't, isn't uttered often. Often enough. Or often enough, yes. Uh, this well is, said. This is the great king of twang, Mr. Dwayne Eddy, no less, with his version of Fireball Mail.
That was Quantic and his combo Barbaro. A track called Undelivered Letter. Before that, we had John Baker with a, a short track there called Reading Your Letters. And before that, we started with Dwayne Eddy, Fireball Mail. Mm. Fantastic. My first tune, I love that. Um, and that last one was rather sublime. And, uh, and another tr- we often like tracks that sound like they were from the heyday of... <laughs> Well, in this case, Latin Latin jazz, but that's a relatively recent release by uh, Will Holland, otherwise known as Quantic. He moved to uh, Cali, which apparently is uh, Colombia's third largest city. Goodness me. In 2007, and uh, basically set up his own analog studio there and uh, recruited a bunch of uh, traditional Colombian musicians to explore that country's fabulous uh, heritage, <laughs> musical heritage in a jazz form. He's obviously enjoying himself. He is. It's a rather lovely piece. Uh, you're listening to a postcard from the moon, uh, specifically the moon base. Uh, this is Project Moon Base, a weekly show you may download, details of which will be coming up shortly. But if you want to be among the first to know when the next show is available, uh, or if you want to get in touch with us, you may follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash projectmoonbase. But if you do want to get uh, track details, etc., you may go to our website. Yes, head on over to projectmoonbase.com, where you'll find everything you need to know about the show and how to contact us. You'll see a list of all the tracks we play and links to where you can find them on Amazon and iTunes. And while you're on iTunes, please subscribe, review us, and click five stars. Project Moonbase is a listener-supported show, uh, so if you're thinking of making a purchase on Amazon, you would do us a big favour by going to our website and clicking on our Amazon affiliate button on the top right-hand corner of the webpage. It doesn't cost you anything, it's entirely anonymous, and it keeps us in penny blacks. Thanks to everybody for listening and recommending us to your friends, and if you enjoy the show, you can make a small but perfectly formed monthly donation, if you like, for as little as a pound. Mm. It's, uh, you won't feel it, but we will. <laughs> mm. Now, there'll be some unnecessary news coming up shortly, but before that, we have uh, another example of uh, personal tunes. Uh, This is from uh, British duo Patrick and Eugene. Their music they make sounds like something from the first part of the 20th century, but they're, again, relatively new. This is an album which came out in uh, 2004 called Postcard from Summer Isle, and we're going to play the title track.
That was the easygoing sound of Patrick and Eugene there with a track called Postcard from Summer Isle from an album mm. of the same name. And um, they're an English musical duo uh, with including a former percussionist from Groove Armada. Mm. Uh, this is Project Moonbase. And now, dear listener, it's time for us to visit the sorting office of unnecessary news. robot servant that knows what you want without being told. <laughs> Cornell University has been working on a robot servant which knows what you want without being told. If you have an empty glass and a bottle sitting side by side, just reach out for the bottle and your robot butler will predict <laughs> that you want the liquid to go from the bottle into the glass. It will scoot over and pour your drink for you and then stare blankly at you awaiting your next whim. <laughs> this is a dream come true. <laughs> it is, yeah. Such is the vision of Cornell's Ashutosh Saxena, assistant professor of computer science. To accomplish this dream, Saxena and his team have armed a humanoid robot with a Kinect 3D camera <laughs> from one of those Xboxes mm. and a library of 3D videos that show common human habits like drinking <laughs> coffee. Oh, that's the only one it mentions. <laughs> the idea is that the robot will record further videos of you completing tasks about the home and build up a vocabulary of actions. Uh-oh. Once this vocabulary is broad enough, the robot will be able to complete most of the complex tasks on its own. Currently, the robot is able to, with just under 85% accuracy, predict your actions. <laughs> <laughs> Three to ten seconds before you take them. Oh, yes. What? The current drawback is that though the robot can see what you want to do before you do it, it can't save you any time by doing things for you as it's a bit too slow. <laughs> and it's an American robot, so all those things will be things like eating a huge amount <laughs> yes. and drinking a huge <laughs> barrel of fizzy pop. <laughs> so, um, do you think it would bring you a tissue, you know, if it saw you, um, you know... Sneezing. Sneezing, yes. I'm sure yeah. it would do, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I want a robot spying on me and going, no. oh, what are you doing there? No. Well, what, mind your own, I'm chopping a carrot. <laughs> do I have to explain myself to you? Oh, maybe I could chop that carrot for you. I can chop it myself. I'm not sure I, I want no. somebody following me around It'll trying to predict unnerving. what I want. No. Yeah. I don't think I'd like it. Get out. Half the time, I don't know about you, I wander in the kitchen. I don't even know what I'm in there for. I'm looking around and bewildered. I'm like, well, I'm, not, I'm in the kitchen. What, why have I come in here? Well, the robot would learn that behaviour. It would know. Similar, similarly wander into rooms and not quite know what it was doing. Can I help you stand in that room wondering why you went in there? <laughs> the robot could just go out in the hallway wearing no trousers, just standing there for you, saving you the job of doing it. It might be in a conspiracy with that robot that predicts Parkinson's. <laughs> Look, there's no need to go mad and start shaking. I can no. do that for you. A man controlled by satellites makes 100 emergency calls a month. <laughs> a man who called 911, which is American for 999 or the emergency <laughs> services, 100 times in one month says he's not going to stop until his concerns are heard by the federal government. Jimmy Shaw keeps a logbook of every emergency call he's made. He boasts he's probably set a world record. Oh, well done. Mm. He doesn't believe he's wasting the time of the emergency responders because he has an emergency of his own. Chow believes he's being watched by shadowy government authorities. Then why is he ringing up the government? He claims to believe his body is being controlled by satellites. In my brain, I can feel it starting. I'm blasted by the signals every couple of minutes, he said. I yell and scream, stop. I don't need this. But they never listen. This is awful, isn't it? Get this man some help. Oh, I'm not laughing at him, but I am yeah. laughing at the fact that the police are just arresting him rather than <laughs> putting him in touch with somebody that might be of some assistance. Yes. A medical professional, professional perhaps. perhaps. Mm -hmm. Sacramento police says he's ignored warnings to stop calling over and over, and they've arrested him. This person made over 100 calls in a month. Dispatchers take time to evaluate every call, even the ones that don't make any sense. <laughs> we know he's tying up resources that are desperately needed by other citizens in our community, said Jenna Swafford with the police department. Fresh out of jail, Shao promises he isn't done dialing 911 until Congress starts an investigation. <laughs> police say if he does continue to call, he will be arrested again. They also say that they may look at some counselling to uh, get oh. him some help. Oh, well, that's a good idea. That's good it's not, they're not completely dim, then, are they? It's, it has been said that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. That essentially is both what this guy is doing <laughs> and what the police are doing. <laughs> Arresting him does not seem to put him off. No. And yet he still keeps calling. So is he crazy because he thinks his body is being controlled <laughs> by satellites or because he keeps ringing emergency services expecting them to do something? You decide. <laughs> mm. 
And finally, an Iraq farmer says he is addicted to eating scorpions. <laughs> Is Ishmael Jasmine Mohammed, a farmer from Samara, Iraq, claims he consumes at least one live scorpion every day. The 34-year-old has been bothering scorpions for the last 15 years. <laughs> Tired of getting stung around the village, the farmer decided to turn the tables and give them a taste of their own medicine. They don't go around eating people, though, do they? No, they don't. They generally just sting people, but he's taken it a step further. <laughs> yes. One day, he caught a live scorpion, put it in his mouth. What? <laughs> As you do. And ate it alive. <laughs> he actually liked the taste and has oh. been snacking on them ever since, which possibly says more about the rest of his diet. As suppose it makes a change from goat or something, doesn't mm. it? Or whatever. I don't know. What opium. Do you, opium. <laughs> a diet of pure opium. <laughs> Obviously, he was stung in the mouth a few times throughout the years, it says. But Ismail says that uh, that helped him develop an immunity to scorpion venom. Mm -hmm. These days, the man is addicted to his unusual diet and he says that he eats at least one a day. If he goes three days without consuming a scorpion, he experiences signs of withdrawal. There's no shortage of scorpions around uh, his village in summer, but they are hard to find in winter. So in order to satisfy his cravings, he stocks up on the bugs during summer and keeps them alive around the house. To the delight of his wife and children, no doubt, who are scared of the uh, dangerous beasts for good reason. And they don't particularly enjoy seeing him eat them either. No. But they've got used to seeing scorpions at the dinner table. <laughs> Dr. Omar Ibrahim from Samar Hospital examined the farmer and confirmed that scorpion toxin has no effect on him. Neither does the disparaging looks from his wife <laughs> and children. Oh, well. Good luck to you. <laughs> you have been used. Pristine Island Rocks! Thank you, Mr. Kenyon. Thank you, sir. For a venomous selection of news stories. <laughs> More later on in the show. Mr. Postman, enkö saa? Mä sitä kirjettäni milloinkaan Postilaatikosta koskaan En mä löydä kuin mainosroskaa Jos ei jaksa kirjoittaa Eikä paiskaa kortillakaan Niin mahtaneeko rakastaa? Tai edes muistaa mua hiukkasenkaan Kirjettä ei mulle That was, of course, <laughs> Rauni Pekela, a 60s starlet of Finland, Finnish fame. I think she's still going strong. Uh, with her version, of course, of a uh, track originally hit for the Marvelettes I think in 19, around 1960-61, Please, Mr. Postman, uh, from the album... <laughs> yes? Uno tomat iskelmia fiftia sixty luvulta one. With apologies. <laughs> With apologies to our Finnish listeners. Yes. Nice, nice though, wasn't Lovely. it? Lovely. They made it their own. I mean, well, yes, I think I want to hear more from Rowney Peckler. She's, uh, I, like, I like her style. Feisty. Hmm. 
And we're going to stay in the 60s, moving slightly further ahead. This is going to 1967. A tune originally a big hit for the box tops and covered by dozens and dozens of people. Uh, this is a version of The Letter, uh, which you can get. Um, I'm, I don't know how easy this is to get hold of. I got hold of this on the, the great two-volume Incredibly Strange Music uh, set that uh, Research Magazine put out, I think, in the mid-90s. Uh, this, this version is by the Nirvana Sitar and String Group. from the Nirvana Sitar and String Group there. Yeah. Good stuff. It was. And we've got something, something exciting, a little bit of work, a little bit of a work song coming yeah. up. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a track called Cancelling Stamps at the University of Ghana Post Office, and it's a track created by four postal employees as they cancel stamps in the University of Ghana Post Office <laughs> in 1975. Mm. And we found this on WFMU. And they found it on uh, a book and CD-ROM by James Cutting called Worlds of Music, an introduction to the music of the world's peoples. Uh, but uh, they have it for free download, and we'll have a link to this on uh, projectmobest.com if you want to have a copy for yourself.
and that was cancelling stamps at the University of Ghana Post Office, mm. 1975. Mm. That was great. I'd, I'd like to think that sorting offices across the land, <laughs> perhaps doing the same thing. Yes, unlikely, but <laughs> unlikely, yes. but possible. This is uh, an all-postal edition of uh, Project Moonbase, uh, first class, second class, and all classes in between. But now, dear listener, it is time for us to rip open a parcel of unnecessary news. Hard currency or hard cheese? (laughs) Yeah. Italy's unique cheese banks. Cash for cheese may sound like a joke, but in some regions of Italy, it's a reality. The famous Parmesan is so precious that some banks are willing to keep the cheese as collateral against a local loan. A loan to local producers. The Credito Imaliano Bank has hundreds of branches and thousands of employees in Italy. Its headquarters look like those of any banking institution. Boring. With cameras watching every angle, security doors and a large vault. But there is a difference. Inside the large vault <laughs> are hundreds of thousands of Parmigiano Reggiano cheese wheels neatly <laughs> packed on shelves. <laughs> the banks take the Parmesan cheese from the local producers in exchange for a cheap loan, charge 3% interest as well as a fee for looking after the cheese and uh, making sure that it matures properly in the air-conditioned humidified vault. Mm. It takes two years for mm. Parmesan cheese to uh, mature. It might seem strange, but the bank treats Parmesan like uh, other banks do gold. <laughs> but you can't put gold on a cracker, can you? <laughs> Not That's yet, the no. difference. <laughs> yes, the mountains of cheese locked away in the secured vault are worth $200 million, apparently. Because wow. the problem with the, the cheese is that it takes two years to age, and that creates a bit of a cash flow problem. The other thing, if you're going to use cheese as a, as a means of currency, is it's a bit difficult to make change, as each one weighs 39 kilograms. <laughs> It's like the weight of a child. A fat child. But it's easier to slice than gold. And it's better on spaghetti. <laughs> An Australian fisherman spends a night with a crocodile. Ashley Sala spent his birthday fishing in the river mouth at Innisfall, South Cairns, when he thought he'd caught a fish. I threw my line out to catch a barra for my birthday and ended up catching a croc, said Mr. Sala. <laughs> He's Australian, so he can't be bothered to say crocodile. No, I don't like saying full words in Australia. They don't. They don't. I thought I'd caught my one-metre barra. I was so happy I was yahooing and carrying on, he said. (laughs) Twenty minutes later, after fighting it, I brought it to the surface, and when the moon came out from behind the clouds, I realised it was a croc tangled in my fishing line. Mr. Seller realised the crocodile, which he was starting to feel sorry for, would almost certainly drown if the line wasn't untangled, and so maddened at the frequency with which the crocodiles were stealing his bait, he picked up the reptile, (laughs) taped its jaws together, together and drove to the house of his local <laughs> councillor to complain at the crocodile population. That's what <laughs> so way to all do it. sounds very reasonable. <laughs> yeah. Councillor Mark Nolan, also in charge of the country's crocodiles, was <laughs> asleep. Unsurprising since it was the middle of the night, I went round to Mark Nolan's house because I know where he lives, Mr. Self said. <laughs> Uh, so logical I was a bit hyped up and shouldn't have been there trying to wake <laughs> him up but I was sick of going fishing and having this problem with crocodiles said. so the, the fisherman decided to take the crocodile home because he was unable to wake up the local councillor he must be a heavy sleeper because I imagine <laughs> if, you, if you've got a crocodile under your arm and you're a bit furious you might be noisy but this guy just slept right through it so the fisherman decided to take the crocodile home for the night until it could be taken to a wildlife park. His girlfriend made the pair sleep in a cabin in his family's caravan park. I sat on the top bunk, he said, and had a few birthday beers by myself, watching the croc on the floor until I fell asleep. His counsellor later praised Mr. Seller, praised his care for the animal, comparing him favourably to Crocodile Dundee. (laughs) Paul Hogan's got nothing on Ashley Seller, he said. Paul Hogan never slept with a salty... Oh. Ashley has and I witnessed it. <laughs> really? So I gave Ashley 10 out of 10 for the way he cared for the reptile during the night and now it's been relocated and is safely back in a crocodile farm. <laughs> That's really the end of the story. But it's more its more about the journey than the destination. <laughs> but yeah. I do like the idea of visiting your local counsellor <laughs> with a crocodile. <laughs> 
in the middle of the night. But it does kind of beg a few questions. It does, I mean, yes. For example, when you put the crocodile on the lower bunk, did the crocodile just calmly rest there for the night? I mean, did it not attempt to escape? Or how did he placate the crocodile during the course of the night? I don't know. He taped up the jaws. <laughs> I suppose that might be an incentive That's... to remain calm. <laughs> it doesn't really say, does it? Puzzling. Maybe he was just, maybe he gave the crocodile a couple of beers as well. <laughs> Who knows? The crocodile's lying there in a comfy bunk. Yeah, that's true. Probably like, this is all right. Yeah. It's not too bad. And finally, pizza and movies are a popular combination, so Domino in Brazil decided to create a heat-sensitive DVD <laughs> that looks and smells like a pizza. Mm. Domino's Pizza teamed up with Brazilian advertising agency Art Plan to create a campaign for their pizza. Movie rental stores are still popular in South America, so the creative minds at Art Plan used thermal ink and flavoured varnish to transform <laughs> 10 new releases <laughs> such as Argo, 007, Dread and Dark Knight into appetising discs that look and smell like pizza. They partnered with 10 video rental stores in Sao Paulo and Rio de Janeiro which distributed the media to unsuspecting clients. The DVDs were painted in a black thermal ink and featured the movie title but once the heat emitted by the player started affecting them they gave away a pizza smell. And the black coloured ink was replaced by a delicious looking pizza mm. image. And the message, did you enjoy this movie? Next time one would be even better with a pizza. <laughs> Straightforward. True. I wonder how many people ate that DVD. Mm. I was going to say, does it taste like pizza? <laughs> I would have eaten it just to make a point, wouldn't you? I'm not sure what the point is, but <laughs> no. I would have probably attempted to down it. Yes. Well, that's just sadistic, isn't it? It's very cruel. Very cruel. <laughs> you have been used. Thank you, Mrs. Cunningham. Thank you, sir. For an extremely flavoursome selection of news stories, there'll be more on next week's show. This is the night mail crossing the border, bringing the cheque and the postal order, letters for the rich, letters for the poor, the shop at the corner and the girl next door. Pulling up, Betuck, a steady climb, the gradient against her, but she's on time. Past cotton grass and moorland boulder, shoveling white steam over her shoulder, snorting noisily as she passes silent miles of windswept grasses. Birds turn their heads as she approaches, stare from the bushes at her blank-faced coaches. Sheepdogs cannot turn her course, they slumber on with paws across. In the farm she passes, no one wakes, but a jug in the bedroom gently shakes. Dawn freshens, the climb is done. Down towards Glasgow she descends, towards the steam tugs yelping down the glade of cranes, towards the field of apparatus, the furnaces set on the dark plain like gigantic chessmen. All Scotland waits for her, in the dark glens beside the pale green sea loch, men long for news. Letters of thanks, letters from banks, letters of joy from the girl and boy, receipted bills and invitations to inspect new stock or visit relations, and applications for situations, and timid lovers' declarations, and gossip and gossip from all the nations, news circumstantial, news financial, letters with holiday snaps to enlarge in, letters with faces scrawled in the margin. Letters from uncles, cousins and aunts, letters to Scotland from the south of France, letters of condolence to Highlands and Lowlands, notes from overseas to the Hebrides, written on paper of every hue, the pink, the violet, the white and the blue, the chatty, the catty, the boring, adoring, the cold and official and the hearts outpouring, clever, stupid, short and long, the typed and the printed and the spelt all wrong. Thousands are still asleep, dreaming of terrifying monsters or a friendly tea beside the band at Cranston's or Crawford's. Asleep in working Glasgow, asleep in well-set Edinburgh, asleep in granite Aberdeen. They continue their dreams, but shall wake soon and long for letters, and none shall hear the postman's knock without a quickening of the heart. For who can bear to feel himself forgotten? That was the, the dulcet tones of John Laurie there, who you may recognise from Dad's Army. Very old. He was very old. He was. Is he, is he still going? I don't he think might so. be 110 years old by now. <laughs> Bless him.
Yes, that was the dulcet tones of John Laurie there reading Nightmare by W.H. Auden with a mix-up there with Vernon Elliott's cruising theme, his cruising theme from Ivor the Engine. That was DJ Bongo Boy's philately mix. <laughs> it's an exclusive to Project an absolute exclusive, never mm. before heard. <laughs> never to be heard again. Well, unless you listen to the show again. <laughs> unless you've got your uh, 84-year-old relatives would, would, like, uh, would like that, I you think. You can rewind the show at any point. Exactly. If you want to enjoy a bit of it again. And you can, yeah, go right back to the beginning listen to the whole thing in fact you can go right back to the beginning to Project Moonbase 001 A New Dawn indeed and listen to the show again Mm. what have you got 130 episodes that's right we sound much younger on those recordings we do we do but we did we did get a slight rejuvenation halfway through (laughs) we did now it's been rather too long since we heard from this next artiste on the show Um, this is of course our favourite Antipodean uh, Sean Toosie um, although she's not originally from uh, uh, from Australia or New Zealand, I think she's originally from Hong Kong. We are, of course, talking about Wing. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Now, delightfully, some listeners may not be aware that in 2006 she recorded an entire album of Elvis covers. Yeah, she was improving Elvis. She looked at him and she said, well, that's nice. You've done some nice work, but I think I can do better. She was right. <laughs> she was. Um, so with uh, what sounds like a Casio keyboard... <laughs> Um, uh, underpinning this uh, magisterial uh, arrangement, we go to hear Wing's version of that Elvis classic, Return to Sender. Unmistakable tones of wing there with her improvement on Elvis's return to sender. She uh, does it some justice, I think. She takes oh, yeah. it, she kidnaps it, she gets it in the back of the van, she drives it. Not not very fast, but she's she's safety conscious. We know that. She is, and uh, yeah, nice bit of electric uh, electronic sax work right, yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Beautiful arrangement. Good stuff. <laughs> Emotional. If you uh, want to own a copy of any of the tracks that we're playing on this week's show, you can, as we've said earlier, go to projectmembers.com and beside each track on PMB131 in this case, you should see a button indicating either a free download or the opportunity to buy the track for yourself. I have been DJ Special Delivery. I hope you've enjoyed what's been coming through your letterbox on this week's show. I have been MC First Class Mail. I hope you've enjoyed licking the back of DJ Bongo Boy's head. Because <laughs> stamps on the moon have my face on them. Of course they do. You're de facto king of the moon. <laughs> I am. Which makes me what? Vice king? 
That's, that's basically just two of us, isn't it? It's basically you're the king, I'm the peasant. You're just king of vice. Hello. <laughs> that, stay tuned for a show themed on that very subject. Oh, he's wiggling his eyebrows at me, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Now, I was, I was slightly bamboozled by this next track when I spotted it. Um, this is a band that's new to us here on the show. It's a, an Irish trio called Organics. And you can possibly tell by that that they are, in fact, led by an organ player. Oh, yes. Ah, filled with organic soil, compost. <laughs> that's right. Uh, Justin Carroll on the Hammond organ, backed up by Kevin Brady on drums and John Moriarty on guitar. And this is quite an extensive jazz workout based around the theme to a very well-known <laughs> children's TV programme, Postman Pat. Which... Oh, right. Do you think this is what, this is what you know, many of us have, have wondered what happened to Pat well, <laughs> right. after the show finished. And, and there, was the, there was various scandals. <laughs> the jazz years. This is, yeah, this is what he's been up to. He's emerged in Ireland with a guy with a Hammond organ. <laughs> I'd be amazed if, in, if, there's, if the Postman Pat had been around in the 60s whether John Coltrane would have chosen to record, uh, develop the theme of Postman wow. Pat, but anyway. I wish that had happened so much. <laughs> Instead, we can enjoy this magnificent uh, and extended bit of organ work. So until next week, dear listener, remember, nothing, nothing gets through like a letter. Thank you. 
next week's edition of Project Moonbase, please pack a geological hammer, a pair of safety goggles, a hard hat, and a cheese sandwich as we go digging for moon rocks.